Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, it's a fabulous Friday. Remember to remember everybody deployed. Those are important things out there. Welcome to the Information Edge podcast. I'm your host. Uh, this is the show that we do on Voice America each week to all the Voice America folks. But we're not just heard on Voice America. Uh, we've got a lot of follow, big following on iHeart, uh, Google, Apple. So any place that you can do a download for a podcast, you can hear us. Let's do a little housekeeping real quick. Uh, do have a lot of you folks follow me on social media. I do Twitter temporarily. Um, I think Twitter is going to strangle itself in the near future. But for those of you that just can't get away from Twitter, it's at DGNC65. No, excuse me. That's the old one. At InfoEdge65. They nuked my DGNC uh, last year. I, I'm not I'm not 100% certain, but I, I kind of think I know what happened. And I'm not going to go back and try to do all the followers we had before. We're working more on Gab, working more on Getter at DGNC65. <laughs> And that's where you can follow me there. Go to the website, informationedge.net. And as you know, the informationedge.net is a resource site for you. Not only does it talk about the, the topics that we have on the show, I show you where I do a lot of my research on the topics we go through. The government tab, I, I cannot stress enough. If you need government sites, there is no more complete site than what I put out there. I've got the congressional websites. I've got the federal government websites. I've got state sites. Now, I haven't went to the level of city and county, and Lauren may make me change that today after this interview, but it's a very complete, concise. So if you want to know, for example, who's on, uh, you know, who's on my natural resource committee for my state, well, you can find that out. You can go to that link and go there. So, again, that's for you. Uh, we've got the blog. I, I do the blog usually commensurate with the podcast unless I'm having a guest on like that and uh, sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter is growing. I do that quarterly. When you go to the blog, you'll have that there. Now in some cleanup business, um, I raised, boy, I stepped on some, and I knew I was going to step on some toes coming out last week and talking about electric cars and the electric lie. But ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand they're, they're I'm not against electric vehicles, but the technology and the tax monies that are being spent, it's just not all sinking really go back and read that article. I got a lot of positive, but I got some people that just blasted me on email and blasted me on social media. And that means you're listening. That's good. So go back and read it. It, it. There's, there's a lot that's not being told to you on the climate, just like there's not a lot being told to you right now, what's really happening over in Russia and Ukraine. And I'm getting, still getting a lot of feedback from those, those stories. Um, everything that you hear in the media is not the truth. And that's why we do the show. But today we're going to get back to putting more of a spotlight on those that are trying to improve their neighborhoods, their counties, their cities, their states, their nation uh, by putting themselves in front of folks and saying, I want to lead. I want to put out ideas. Here's what I think is wrong. And here's what I think I can do about it. And uh, young, young lady we have on today fits that mold. And I'm going to introduce Lauren Davis. She is a candidate, Republican Party, for Dallas County Judge. And when we start getting into this a little bit, a lot of people think, well, county judge, well, is she an attorney? Is she a sitting judge? Because everybody's got, you know, the Supreme Court nomination thing on their mind. 
And as you'll see, as we get into this, a county judge position is not what you think it is. And we'll get into that. And with that, I want to welcome Lauren Davis to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, fantastic. So we were talking a little bit before the show and, um, are you, are you curious? Are you wearing tennis shoes yet for the running track? <laughs> I still got heels on from events today. <laughs> okay. I got to ask a question. I, I I've looked at women's shoes. There's no possible way they're comfortable in, no, in high heels. No. <laughs> Why wear them? Why wear them? Other, I mean, you, you just, you're torturing yourself. I know. Sometimes I wear them because my pants are too long. So that was the case today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good reason to go through. Well, here's what we want to do. We want to talk, and, and, and this broadcast goes over a very large, diverse uh, population, not only locally, but uh, statewide, nationally, is to let folks know who you are, talk about your story, see if it's something, if they're local, perhaps they can support you not only financially, but vote. But if they're outside of that, they might want to you know, throw some money your way and money's important in a campaign because mm -hmm. this stuff isn't, isn't free. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I've read your bio. I, I think it's a fantastic bio. Your, your wife, mother, you've got a, a, your own business. looks like you've gone into nonprofit. Kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, like you said, I'm, I'm an everyday American citizen, just going through life, living the American dream. Um, I have three beautiful kids, my husband and I have been together since we were 16. We're high school sweethearts. I was raised out in the hill country, um, Canyon Lake, Texas. So that's outside of New Braunfels in San Antonio here in Texas. So the more Southern part. Um, and when we were 25, we decided to take a chance and um, start our own business. So we started a company called The Gents Place, which is a high-end men's grooming um, and lifestyle club. So membership-based men's grooming. We do straight razor shaves haircuts and all these things, but we weren't hairstylists or barbers ourselves. We just um, love the service industry. We love customer service and growing opportunity for others. So we really built an amazing culture-driven company that we've grown um, through the franchise model. So we have locations from Chicago to Bentonville, Arkansas, Las really? Vegas, San Antonio. So we've really taken the chance at, uh, you know, taking some risks and didn't, chances, didn't you but introduce that in 08 during the financial meltdown of 08 yeah you know we like when the world's just going crazy that's when we we start new things in our life so yeah so a funny story funny not funny i guess you could say is we you can got laugh a, you can laugh now i can laugh now when we were in it it was a little tough but um we got a, a sba loan in 2008 and our banker called and said you better start spending the money because Lehman Brothers just collapsed and we're we'll take the money back. So instead of getting scared and retreating, we just pushed forward and found a way to execute those first dollars. And um, you know we've been doing really well. COVID was quite the test. Um, you think a financial crisis and starting a new business was tough. I think COVID might have been worse. Really? But um, yeah. yeah, but we've yeah, because you know, nobody could strong. go get haircuts for a while. No, I mean, they completely shut you down. It's one thing, you know, working through and working hard. It's another thing having government come in and take you to zero. Like, Let me ask you, you a know. question there. Okay, as a small business person now, I used to have an operation for a number of years. I sold it, mm -hmm. and I do things differently now where I don't have to make one, but we're going back in. And I think this may lead into a little early question, but there's nowhere in the state of Texas under its constitution that – has the broad authority of emergency powers that was exercised during COVID. 
when you mm-hmm. that when when the Dallas County judge came out and effectively shut you down, mm-hmm. what was your first response? And did you go do any research, or were you just mad, or both of the above? Sure, it, it was. I've actually since I've been telling this story and been out campaigning and things. It's hard to honestly put words to it. We complied. Um, because we're all figuring out, you know, this first couple of weeks, what this disease was. Um, but that, that day in our, one of our locations in Frisco, Texas, we left it open the longest because there was a a conflict on the Denton County and Collin County lines. And one of those judges was leaving things open. And so we left it open until the police came and told us, we'll take your business license. If you don't shut it down, the police actually Mm -hmm. came to Mm -hmm. the location. Yes and threatened to take your license if you didn't yeah. shut it down. Yes. Yeah. We had men still at the shampoo bowl and we're like, can you give us 10 minutes to, to wash these guys hair? And, um, so were, that were, were the police, was, were the police nice about it? Yeah. You know, it wasn't confrontational yeah. and, and we're not generally confrontational people and rule followers. And so they just got you at this point in life where, um, you didn't know what to do. We considered ourselves law abiding citizens our whole life. And so our natural inclination was to listen, but that it it was a mix between panic and helplessness. I I don't subscribe to being helpless or being a victim. You know, life Mm -hmm. is hard, but to be put in that point where you're truly helpless in that moment, like it's your, it's your government. It's someone who can put you in jail. I have three kids. We can't afford to, to make a a decision like that, that could have these consequences. We don't know if we could get ourselves out of that authoritarian feel that came Mm -hmm. over us was, I mean, unsettling panic, anger. I mean, the range of emotions and then having to lay off um, and help single mothers who work for us get on government assistance um, because there's an undetermined amount of time, you know, that we'd be shut down and more revenue, you know, a service-based business and the revenue comes in on a daily basis. We, we didn't have cash reserves to continue to pay our entire payroll. We had to come out strong as a company in order to be able to provide jobs when, when the, when it lifted. So let it was, you, let me ask you a question. Life-changing. And, and I've, I've mm-hmm. had multiple arguments with various folks on this. I, I think, the emergency orders under the Texas constitution is, is very sketchy, mm-hmm. but nowhere in Clearly. that, to my knowledge, unless someone could point out, does it allow any official to yank a license for violation of yeah. such order? No, as far as I know, um, it, it does not. Um, I, what we've all got ourselves into is policing by compliance. Mm-hmm. If we had had the foresight to know we shouldn't have complied from the beginning, this would have never happened. Right. And I think that's the crossroads we're at, you know, is we have to stop complying to the lawlessness. There's no other way to fight it. Um, and if you would, in hindsight, if someone comes to try to shut my business down, you will find me laying my body across that front door. They'll have to drag me off. <laughs> you know, I would never comply again like that ever. Well, and that's, that's the whole thing. I think people, everyone, you know, we're dealing with a degree of uncertainty. We don't yeah. know exactly what the, what the disease is or is not. Everybody wants to be trusting to a degree to their government, put the faith in them. And I, yeah. I, I don't think there's ever been such a breach of faith by government at multiple levels mm-hmm. in history, at least in this yeah. country. 
And, I think you're so right. And, and I just, for so, you know, that's, I'm just one of these, you know, I, I spent, uh, I've been 30 years in insurance, ran an operation for 22 years. So mm-hmm. I get a little into the muck in the mire and I read a lot of the statues mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, I, I'm afraid I'd have probably gotten confrontational because yeah. I, I'm going to go show me where mm-hmm. you've got the authority to revoke my license because I'm not following an emergency order. And of course I know what that's going to lead. Well, blah, 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 blah. And they're, you know, they're going to turn around, <laughs> slap the cuffs on me. Uh, but well, I tell you what, I, the, the people that had, that just went to that extreme, my heart goes out because that's just wrong. That's just yeah. wrong. And we did, it's not like we had people actually dropping like flies and dying in mass. Yeah. We had yeah. folks getting sick. But I look at it this way, unless, you know, eight out of 10 people are dying or five out of 10, we got to put some common sense into it. So obviously this happened, I I guess, is this the beginning of what lit a fire under you to start looking into running for office or did it go beyond that? Sure. I'd say um, at that time it planted a seed. So it really, I was just like a lot of Americans just living my life, kind of avoiding local news, um, just wanted to you know, to focus on my own personal growth, our family's growth, and live a positive, empowered life. It's something that we teach at the Gents Place, being positive and empowered. Um, But what I've learned is you can't be ignorant. (laughs) You can't be willfully ignorant on things. And you have to find a balance between being informed and staying positive. And I think it it lends to the point you are making is that in where our country has gone wrong is that we're not educated on some of these statutes and our local government. And so we can't confidently push back because we don't know the law. And our government generally has been keeping citizens in the dark and discouraging participation. And that's just created a perfect storm for this time in our life when they can come down with COVID, when we're not paying attention, we're not informed. Everything I've learned over the last two years would have given me the confidence to take those handcuffs. But two years ago, I wasn't informed enough. Uh, to, to confidently push back on the authoritarianism. So I think that's just one big learning and one big step that, that propelled me to where I'm at today. And so the other piece was um, that, that caused me to pause and start diving back into um, politics and the news and start reading and researching. And then the social unrest, that was another Um, tipping point to start diving into different parts of history and the critical race theory, Um, finding out what the kids were learning in schools. This is all like this perfect storm of just dropping the scales off my eyes. Let me ask you a question Mm -hmm. because I agree. I think we, we, from an education standpoint, and this goes back a couple of decades, I think we started growing some little inside communists and didn't realize it. I Mm -hmm. don't think they understood that the lockdowns would expose no. what was actually happening. I think because you know, I've had four kids go through what I felt is pretty good independent school district, but now there's things I'm hearing back going, mm. and I think every, it, it took everybody by surprise. You yeah. know, little Johnny and little Janie aren't learning about how to be a patriotic American. They're learning, oh, well, if you're white, you're, you're inherently racist. Um, and if, if you're black, you're just underprivileged and, 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 God bless you. We need to help you in every way possible. And that's just, Mm -hmm. that's just garbage. So you had a couple of kids in DISD. And when Mm -hmm. I say Dallas independent school district, what, what came out and, and, and raised the hair on the back of your neck? Mm. 
Well, last year I caught wind of some of the critical race theory, um, the diversity, equity, inclusion just exploded. And um, I, I got wind of some books they were reading. And so I really started going down that rabbit hole and learning where critical race theory came from, came from critical theory and, and, and researched all of those and realized it's a Marxist divisive agenda. And then we get to this school year and our superintendent, Michael Hinojosa, decided to defy Governor Abbott. Um, he had put a ban, GA38, a ban on mandates, um, on mask mandates in, in public right. schools and, and other government um, places. And so that brought our family to our line. And, and when I talk about a line, so since the shutdown, I have three kids, a freshman, an eighth grader, and a fifth grader, two boys and a girl. And, um, and then the election happened and having Joe Biden take office. So we started educating ourselves as a family. I bought my first copy of the Constitution, of the Federalist Papers. Um, I started listening to Wall Builders and other really cool, you know, podcasts. Um, I just started studying uh, Black history, the real Black history. Um, wow. David Barton has a great book. And there were some other um, authors I, I listened to. I read Up From Slavery, Booker T. Washington's Autobiography. That's supposed to be and, a fantastic book. Oh my gosh. It is the best book I've ever read in my life. I love it. And, and I can tell you why, but we just started studying and I just said, guys, you know, you might think I'm extreme right now, but our world is changing and I need you to listen to me. And I said, we need to talk about as a family, if we were living in world war two times, who are we? The Davis family. Would we have, taken a Jewish family in if they knocked on our door or would we have turned them in? And we all agreed we would take them in, even if it meant our life. Right. You know, we went through that mental exercise and I said, I know that sounds extreme, but a line is coming. I don't know what it's going to be. And it was a little prophetic. And at the beginning of the school year, our, our line hit. We just said, after so many years of this pandemic and we know that the math science just isn't there, nope. I refuse to allow Dallas ISD to strip me and my family of our parental rights. And we are going to go to school with no mask. And then what I did not realize is that my two kids, um, the eighth grader and the fifth grader would be the only two out of 604 students to show up that day. <laughs> <Isn't> that right? <laughs> Which great. Except for this shows like what you were talking about earlier is yeah. that when it's very few and there's not a mass non-compliance, right? When we don't have that critical mass, the governing authority, whether that be the independent school district or a governor or a county judge, can they believe they can exercise complete authority over your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. That's what they did to our family. Um, they took my daughter, who's 11, and put her behind cones in PE class. So you take the gym. Wow. picture a, Yes. Picture a, a gym. They took like 10 cones, made a line, stuck her on one side of it. And she just had to watch all the other kids play. She sat there and cried. Kids I, came I, up to her and that's harassed just, that's her. A that's a discriminatory and selective practice. Could you imagine under any other circumstances this happening? And what See, in I, all I, I'm lucky safety? my last of my four was, was graduating, coming at, into COVID. Because mm -hmm. I'm afraid right now that I'd be in jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We exercised so much restraint through this process. I mean, we were standing our ground. Because I looked around and I said, you can't cancel me. And they sure did try, let me tell you that. 
Yeah. You can't cancel me. I don't answer to anybody. Answer to God. And that's it. Um, I'm willing, I'm willing to put everything on the line. I'm willing to lose our friends, which we did. Really? Because my friend, so you didn't, yes. you didn't have a lot of like-minded in, in, in that area. No one even stood up. Wow. No one, no one had our back. That's gotta it, be disappointing. My best friends. One of my most closest friends turned into my worst enemy. Oh, that's sad. Sorry to hear. And that. that's what, well, and it is sad. Um, because you know, they, they couldn't even see like putting my daughter behind cones. I said, don't you see how wrong that is? And they go, well, don't you deserve it? I mean, just put on a mask. No, that's no. not the way. To answer. <laughs> no. I will tell you right now. I salute you and your husband for not clocking somebody clean off their, <laughs> their kilter because <laughs> that takes a I lot know. of restraint. That takes a lot of restraint. Yes. And it took a lot of deep breaths to, to stay in conversation with some of these people and advocate for my kids with the administration. And then the next level. So when that didn't work, they did that to my daughter three times, tried to do it to my son. And he was like in eighth grade. He's like, no, I, he wouldn't even walk in the gym. He's like, you will not. Um, they went and took both of them and removed them from the classroom, put them in the library, withheld their education, no music, no art, no PE. And then they wouldn't even let them in the cafeteria where all the other kids are unmasked. Wow. So here's a question. It's obviously some time has passed. Now we know a lot of this <clears throat> science wasn't. If attitudes changed at DISD, are they digging in? No, they dug in, they doubled down, they tripled down. I'll tell you the, the summary of it is they ended up building a floor to ceiling cage box of plexiglass around my kids in the corner of the library to the point where they couldn't breathe. Fire department came outside of school. Wow. Then we won them back on an exemption process, which they tried to make us go through the 504 disability process. And that's a, that's a federal program, you know, that is. they were trying to bury us in paperwork, but what they forgot in their haste to be tyrants, my son has survived three open heart surgeries. Oh, wow. My daughter has had three eye surgeries and suffered from severe anxiety from all those surgeries to the point where she didn't want to see her face. She wouldn't even look in the mirror. Oh, so I'm just not going to put masks on either of those kids for eight hours a day at this point in the pandemic. Did we yeah. do it before? Yes. Like I said, we're reasonable, you know, typically reasonable rule following people. But when all the science came out and we did our own research, I just said, this is ridiculous. I won't do this anymore. Well, here's and, the thing that, um, that bothered me from the beginning mm -hmm. on the masks. And, and you can even go back to March of 2020 and Fauci said, no, we don't need to do that. Yeah. Okay. Even the, the heavy duty H95, which are industrial grade, and you can see they can't stop mm -hmm. it. And the other problem is because of what we are as carbon-based units, we are exhaling carbon dioxide, which means if you've got a mask on all that time, what are you doing? you're breathing it back into your system. Mm -hmm. I have a legitimate concern of the, fortunately I've got a bunch of rebels for kids and, and, and family members, but I got a lot that are compliance. I'm mm -hmm. concerned about what long-term health effects we could possibly oh, yeah. come out of this because people for long periods of time, just mm -hmm. sit there and breathe in carbon dioxide. Yeah. And especially our kids. I mean, their little bodies are so delicate. Um, they can't take in and they're, they're wearing these masks during PE, during exercise, during outside time. It's insane. 
So they, so yeah, Dallas ISD, they tripled down there. So when our kids went back to class, because we eventually won them back, the community became unhinged. I'll give you the short of it. <laughs> unhinged. Parents calling up to the school saying um, they don't want uh, their kids around the Davis kids. Uh, my daughter had to get permission slips from parents for kids to sit next to her in the cafeteria. Um, a fifth grade boy came up to my daughter Caroline in um, in the cafeteria and walked up to her unprovoked and said, you deserve to die. Oh, Followed her goodness. out to the playground, said, you deserve to die. And the school did nothing about it. Wow. Nothing. We've gone, we've done public information requests. We've had parents writing in um, saying, calling us attempted murderers and terrorists. And they meant this. And I our would school assume district, you probably live in a semi-liberal area for that to happen. Am I right? I guess so. Who knew? Um, this yeah. particular school is is liberal. I think it's a product. Generally speaking, it's a fairly um, Republican neighborhood, but there's pockets everywhere. But Dallas County, yes, is blue right now. Yeah. Um, but this school was just exceptionally um, unhinged or liberal or covert wow. scared or whatever. Um, and the district is is off the charts communist. Well, so, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. You've now you, you've got your hands dirty. You've been in this. <laughs> yes. What's your opinion on the elimination of ad valorem taxes? Mm. And here's a reason I asked this. Yeah. And, and if you're successful at becoming county judge, part of what you're going to be doing is allocating tax rates for mm -hmm. the county. Okay. Yeah, county on ad valorem taxes. What is the school? system survive on ad valorem taxes. That's the biggest chunk of your tax bill. Now there's a growing crowd of which I am a part of that says, if we, if we had taken away the ad valorem taxes, or we took it away now that these municipalities, the school districts, County uh, commissioners, such like that would not have the funding to even have the necessary power at base mm -hmm. because as far as I know, None of those people missed a paycheck during the pandemic, predominantly because of property taxes that were paid. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you thought, have you thought about that, in, that, that side of it? Um, yeah. I mean, I think generally speaking with the taxes and the money, and that is the primary function of the county government, right? It's not judicial, it's CEO, it's no, administrative. CEO. Yeah. It sets, it sets the tax rate um, on the county and the medical district, which are, the county hospital down here is Parkland is, you know, money talks and money sets your priorities and, and money is influence and power. And, and they government, especially here in a place like Dallas County is used that to enrich themselves. Um, they don't earn it, they take it. And so they just have been historically spending it and using it in ways that don't serve people. And when you have dishonest um, self-serving government officials, they will never consider cutting taxes to themselves or, or, un, or particular parts of, of government that they have influence over. And I'll give you an example. In Dallas County, our Dallas County jails are understaffed. Um, there's been a few inmates who have, um, who have died in their own suicide watch. I've talked to oh, some dear. jail employees who have been forced to work multiple 16-hour days um, and have quit compounding the problem the jail just failed a second uh an inspection for the second year in a row is the budget um, there i'm assuming there's budget there to hire people is that correct 
No, they did a 90 day. They have a 90 day hiring freeze right now to be um, budget conscious. But then let me tell you what I found allocated in the 2022 budget was a diversity, equity, and inclusion director at $163,000 salary. Uh, I'm sorry, say that title again. DEI Divers director. Diversity and Inclusion Equity, equity director. director. Yeah, I, I don't, I've never, I, you can't convince me that it is a core function of government. Why in the world would someone get a position for $163,000 a year salary when our sheriff's department is underfunded, our jails are, are underfunded, and our elections are underfunded, I'm sure, because those could be a whole lot better, and elections are under the court. It is unbelievable that that would be the case. Now, you do understand, you, you, and then we're going we're gonna to educate the, the, the audience for a second. Mm -hmm. um, everybody in every state, it's a little different. Uh, your counties have what's called a county commissioner's court. And as a general rule, you've got four county commissioners and you've got a county judge. And what the county judge does, they're not there educating cases. That's not what this position does. This position is kind of like a CEO of the county. And they're administrating their road and bridge fund. They're administrating tax rates. They're administrating for their primary expense, which in Dallas's case, a lot of hospitals, uh, helping set things for making recommendations and appointments for different boards. So it's, it's not a judicial position. It's, it's an accounting and CEO position with that, Lauren, if, if you get into that, there's a lot of things that come with that position. Mm -hmm. Um, what are you doing to prep yourself for that position? Should you be elected? Sure. Yeah, I'm doing a, a variety of things. I've met with um, a former Dallas County judge, Margaret Kelleher. She was a wealth of knowledge um, and the first woman and the last Republican who's held this position. So it will be quite amazing to have the, you know, the next Dallas County Republican judge be another woman. That would be um, great. Yeah, it would be a great, a great story. Um, I've also spent some time down um, in Austin with uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. They have experts in every area of government. And so I just, I've been going back to college, basically kind of getting up to speed on, on just core functions of county government on um, budgeting, you know, conservative budgeting, zero-based budgeting, um, having a, a tax rate policy that is, um, you know, population growth plus inflation and not a penny more um, and things like that. So I'm coming up the learning curve by going to experts and also using my business skills. I, I'm an entrepreneur. We grew something uh, from nothing and then scaled it and then have other entrepreneurs that came out of our businesses. So I definitely know how to grow people and opportunity. Let's talk about some, I served on a, an emergency services board mm -hmm. that was for the most part, a very conservative board, both politically and ideologically. Mm -hmm. But a funny thing happened during budget season. Mm -hmm. Those normally fiscally conservative people would fight each over fight each other over dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say we never cut our budget. I tried, but I failed. Yeah. You mentioned a word that I can tell you right now is going to get you into a dog fight. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's zero-based budgeting, which, by the way, I support. For those mm -hmm. that don't know what zero-based budgeting is, in the end of a political cycle, if your budget was a million dollars and one cents, um, if you have go to traditional, you'd start at that 
same budget level and possibly go to it. Zero-based budget means you go back to zero and justify your budget. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about the snake pit you could walk into if you try to introduce uh, zero-based budgeting? Well, yeah, I fully realize that the battleground I'm on, and I think every time I open my mouth is going to cause a snake pit. So, you know, I think it's worth the fight. It is um, worth the fight. I think it's worth the fight. And I think that's sometimes where our government goes wrong is that people, um, they're soft spined and they just want to get along and they want to compromise. And I'm all for compromise, but I have a hard stop at constitutional principles and limited government principles. If it is going to grow government in a way that is unconstitutional and not the core functions of what county government should be, then it's just a no for me and I'm not afraid to say it. I will not compromise past that point. Now, if we're all talking about, okay, we definitely need a sheriff's office and then how we fund that, right? It's not like, do we have a sheriff or not? So we're not going to get into defunding the police garbage conversations. We're going to talk about what do our police need to do the job better? So I will compromise up to the point where it violates what's best for the American people. And that's keeping all, all of our constitutional um, liberties intact and i'm just i'm not afraid to say it i'm just not afraid to have that conversation and 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 we need more like it i'm going to add one of the things that this position will also come with um there's another there's a lot of little other sub government boards that come (laughs) that are fingers of the county um and a lot of those are appointed positions Mm -hmm. by the judge as well as other county commissioners what is your stance on appointed positions in terms of how do you feel you should qualify people for appointment? Because one of the, it's a, it's a, it's a back and forth. A lot of folks don't understand. They say, well, nothing should be appointed. Everything should be elected. Well, that sounds great in theory, but a lot of these people wouldn't run for office if it was not appointed. That is absolutely correct. You have to put people in place. So what, what is your profile that you're looking for in appointed positions? Cause you're going to have multiple places that you're going to have to appoint people if you become county judge. Yeah, I'd first look at, you know, it's an interview, an interview like a job interview. These appointed positions matter. Um, They're not doing us any favors. I'm tired of anybody in appointed or, you know, uh, non-paid elected positions calling themselves a volunteer and then they're, their willingness to do their job is, is a favor to the American people. So I look for someone who wants to fully contribute, um, who is well-skilled and well-versed in whatever subject area that is, whether it's on Parkland board or mental health board or what have you, they have to have the experience, you know, and they'd have to be in the mindset of a limited government. Um, and there'd be, you know, no, no favor deals, not just because you donated to my campaign, do you get a board seat? You, you have to earn it. It has to be someone who's going to be there and contribute in a meaningful way. So I'd look at it like a job interview, not like a, a paid, you know, you a pat on my back. Not a, not a, not a buddy system. No, that's no, not. not at all. Well, and those, I, that's I, things I that people, important. they want to know about because this, there's a lot of intricacies in what you're talking about. Now let's mm-hmm. talk about the, the hand of cards that you could be dealt with. And I have not done any research into your, your County commissioners. So I'm just, you, you tell me. What is the political makeup of your four commissioners for your, this court if you get into this court? Sure. Generally speaking, um, we've got three um, liberal and um, three Democrat and then one conservative. 
um, District 2 is conservative. And then, you know, Clay Jenkins is <laughs> over he's the not. top tyrant. <laughs> he's like, he's off the charts. He doesn't qualify <laughs> yeah. a Democrat, you know. So, okay. So you, you got a three to one court against you. If you're in there, that puts the court at three to two. Is mm-hmm. there one of those other Democrats that you, you see as someone that will, a uh, reason will appeal to them? Uh, fiscal responsibility might appeal to them. Take, you don't, you don't want to discuss social issues cause you're not going to win there, but some yeah. other things, do you see any of those other three commissioners, one or more that you can win over to, uh, you know, doing the right thing for the county. Do you think that's the possibility? I do. I do. I think it's possible because I think the number one thing you need in any conversation where you disagree with people is just someone who will anchor that conversation and in, in civility and um, always work to bring it back to, you know, what are we building here? You know, focus on the end goal and not let it take tangents. So I'm confident in my skill set to managing conversations and negotiations. Um, with these commissioners who represent their district. And I understand each district has its own um, needs and, um, and desires. So I think, uh, I, I feel highly confident that if I get in this position, um, I will be able to, you know, I'll say, get people to focus on the, the task at hand. And then let's just keep the conversation on how we get there. So we just always have to drive it back to what are we trying to build here. You know, I've done a, a really, you know, different leadership classes over the years and, and different programs. And one stands out to me, this woman, former, really high up in the CIA, ran detail for President Obama. Um, I went up to New York to take her class. And the first exercise she did, you know, because they're working in some massive operations, right? And failure is not an option, right? It means the president dies. So she did this tower exercise. She gave us a stack of printer paper and three strangers and, you know, from all walks of life and said, build a tower and whoever's is the tallest, you know, wins. And, you know, we all went about it a different way, but in, and there could be disagreements. And at the end of the day, the point is focus on the tower, focus on the tower, not on your individual personality, on anything else. It's the tower. And so I, I'm really confident in my skill set to manage conversation and negotiations. Okay. Let's talk about, um, you, you come into this position. Let's talk. Well, let me reverse. Cause I kind of got a little out of sequence. The current judge that you're going to go up against, and we're not going to name who the judge is. It's irrelevant at this point, but what we do want to talk about are the things that this judge is doing that we'll just say gets under your fingernails mm-hmm. and it and gets under your skin. What are the things that the current judge is doing that you want to change? Sure. Yeah. Um, number one is he has misused and abused his emergency power. So th- there's an emergency power that lies solely under the county judge. Um, it's a little asterisk on the um, organizational chart. So he has kept us under these mandates. It was never meant to be in conflict with the governor. County government is meant to be the administrative arm of the governor of the right. state laws, it's not meant to be in conflict And that emergency power is for local disasters, such as a tornado or hurricane, just depending on what part of Texas you're in. Right. It's not meant to keep people in a perpetual state of fear and lockdown and, and these different things. So that's number one. It's, it's obvious. But most people didn't realize the, how much power in that realm um, that this one position had, even outside of like equal votes on the court and such. It's, it's very much concentrated in the judge position. Yes, it is. So that's, that's one. 
um, and letting informing um, our constituents of all of Dallas County of what that power is really supposed to be. Because there's some people, you know, who think he did a good job. And regardless of what you think, he still misused and abused a power, which makes him not fit for office. And then, um, and then secondly, he has taken a position in county government. County government is meant to be neighbor serving neighbor. It's truly, we run on two tickets, but it's truly nonpartisan. A lot of these issues just really are more, how can we- It's nuts and bolts. It's really nuts and bolts. There's just none of the big, you know, dividing issues on a national level affect this office the day to day. And Clay Jenkins has done everything he can to um, politicize this office, even to the point of this week, he had Nancy Pelosi within town visiting with him. Our county judge, Dallas County Judge Nancy Pelosi's down here. What is she doing here? And he you takes know, well, every- you do understand what that means. You are a yeah. real, you are a real perceived threat. Yeah, they're scared of yeah. you. That's what that means. You yep. should be they're proud bringing- of yourself. If, yeah. if, you, yeah. if you get Madam Drinker to come down and do a Dallas County tour, you've stepped on somebody's hackles. That's a good job. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely been a wrench in some people's plans here. And uh, I'm pretty unshakable at this point in my life. So, um, but that's what he's done. He's politicized an entire commissioner's court, which was just meant to serve the people, take care of the county, provide opportunity, keep our core functions, all these really important systems like our elections, our hospitals, uh, our county hospitals, um, the whole entire health and human services department, just running efficiently and for the people. And he's, all he does is tweet about national issues. Um, this week in the commissioner's court, he spent, um, apparently multiple hours passing, um, just ceremonial virtue signaling, uh, resolutions talking about Russia and Ukraine, putting pressure on local businesses to not do business with Russia. And that's regardless, not, not his job. It's not his job. It's not fair to put pressure like that on local businesses. We're a global economy. There are some people in Dallas doing business with Russia because that's just the way the world goes these days. And to ask them to take and not do business could, could put them out of business. Yeah. I just think it's immoral, not okay. And, and at the very least, none of his business. It, it's not county, it is not county government. So I think, you know, I'll get in there and find even more he's done wrong. I mentioned the jails, every department's a little bit in shambles, but I think overarching that's bled into everything. If I was to find some root causes of things is that he has politicized this office, which means it's inefficient. You can't get things done. Everybody argues Um, our, our citizens don't understand what the government should be doing for them because they're just too hung up on these, um, you know, negative national issue tweets. So has you know, has his budgets have, have they at all come down in any of his years in office or, or are they just bloated from nothing's ever been was trimmed? A, sure when i was looking at the budget and setting up uh yesterday down in austin working with some of those policy experts there was a time where the commissioner's courts you know budgets were, were looking you know pretty okay it's a lot of money could be less Right. But it wasn't the worst. But um, starting, I think it was in 2018, took a hockey stick turn to completely bloated and out of control. And I, you know, you can only speculate on um, some of these things, but that's when 
you know, a, you know, the current county judge, I think, started vying for national positions and started doing some of the bidding of, of the left and become really politicized. I mean, to be honest, I hadn't been studying the court all these times, the commissioner's court all these years, but there was a drastic shift. And so the, the budget is bloated and out of control now. Interesting. Well, now you've already mentioned that one of the changes you'd like to make would be zero-based budgeting, which I applaud mm -hmm. that. And, and, and that's something I, I personally th would like to see federal and state constitutions require it because it's just, that's one of the problems that we have. Aside yeah. from the change to zero-based budgeting, you also mentioned the things that he doesn't do. What do you want to go in as a plan and say, this is my plan for Dallas County if I get elected? I want to do A, B, C, and D. What would that plan sure. be? Or what is that plan? Sure. Um, so it, it's kind of um, two parts and two philosophies on it. So me being not a politician, um, being a businesswoman, um, and I've also taken over different barbershop locations and and um, kind of understand how to go in and when leadership changes, what you do and what that looks like. So number one, I'll go in and do as many third party audits as I can and do, you know, internal just over, you know, um, deep dive into what's working and what's not working. Just assess everything, every single department. I can't, I can only imagine when the last time that's happened with a fresh set of eyes, with a business perspective on, is there anything working here? What is it? What can we find that works and build on that in each department? Um, so go in and completely do a full audit of everything. That's that's number one. Because I, I don't believe in just going in and taking a wrecking ball to everything and just being like, nothing's working, new regime right. in, we're just going to rip it. I mean, that's yeah, you make, make a lot of enemies fast. Well, yeah, and I care about the employees. You know, I'm a serv we're service-based business. And if you don't have happy employees, they're inefficient. Every Everyone suffers. So that's overarching what I'm going to do. It's going to be time-consuming. It's going to take a while. But I'm going to go through and assess everything. My commitment is there. And then I'm going to just go through each department, IT, human resources, jail, sheriff. Um, what else? We have health and human services. And I'm going to check how speak to each of the employees and I'm going to check all current programs and we're going to start making a plan for what we can cut because there's always something to cut um, and and start working on on what's going what's going well so I'm not a, a typical politician that's going to go in and say I'm going to do this this and this because I think it's in my opinion irresponsible because you can only know so much until you get in and right. I hesitate and I would like really to see our politicians talk more about that because we we as um, the American people have to retrain our brains on what a qualified person is to take office. We get we just want to say, tell me your three point plan and promise me these things. That's and right. I know I can't promise something I don't know. Um, and I and I don't want to play in that game. But what you need to know if you were going to vote for me is my framework because there's going to be some other emergency that comes across the desk that you need to, as an American citizen, as a citizen in Dallas County, you need to be able to predict how I would respond, you know, it, because there's going to be things that come across and, and it would bring you more comfort to know you understand how I make decisions versus these empty promises because I've never been in the office before and don't know exactly um, what's right and wrong in the office. So I make decisions first and foremost on what's best 
for all Dallas County citizens, what holds our constitution sound. So COVID comes across the desk and you're asking me to shut down businesses. No, doesn't fit the framework. Unconstitutional does not fit the framework. Um, and, and um, you know, the other third part is limited, limited government. What is our core functions? How do we contract? We've, we've bloated it and bloated and exploded government to the point there's got to be a period of where we just pull back versus create. I know there's tons of social programs that exist within different offices on mental health and certain courts. And I want to go in and I want to say, show me your results. And if you cannot show the results, then we need to look at how to phase that program out and reallocate those dollars Wait, to something that actually provides results. You're, you're talking about a word called accountability. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, that. that's a dirty word in a lot of government circles. <laughs> I know. I know. And that's just to me, it's just going like, why wouldn't we? This isn't my money. This is your and, money. And, and that's the problem. And I, and I got to tell you, and, and I spent five years on an ESD and I hated budget season because the normally level-headed thinking people I worked with became mm -hmm. tax revenue obsessed demons and yeah. would go to gladiatorial combat over dollars and cents. And I'm like, so I, I got to tell you, I'm right now, I, I salute you. I hope you're successful. I know what you've got coming at you. Um, if you want to call and have a shoulder to cry on, <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll welcome that in. Let, let's talk about your campaign for a second. Um, yeah. You had a primary. How many opponents did you have in the primary? Um, well, I just had one, and it was quite the fun primary because um, I put my application in um, the last day. Um, this is truly a calling. This was never on the vision board. This was never in my reality. Um, but what got me off um, the couch completely, and God fully spoke to me and said, here you go, is my primary oppo opponent was a Dallas ISD school board trustee Oops. Who's over my kid's school who voted for the mandates, voted for CRT training over the years, just not going to cut it. And I said, really? This is the man that's going to go up against, you know, the biggest tyrant Dallas County's ever seen? No way. And so I had already been considering it and, and, it got me, you know, it got me over the finish line on putting my application in. So that was December 13th. Oh yeah. You, we, you were, you were the late filer. Literally on the last day. Yeah. Um, like all good callings, you try to deny them and they just get you. And so I did it. I do. And, um, my husband and I and my family, we just decided, you know what? We know business, we know marketing, we know outreach. And so we just used everything we knew. Um, and I put together with, you know, the help of amazing volunteers and my husband, he's been a huge supporter of me, huge. He's my biggest fan. Um, just put it, organize a whole campaign in about a month and a half. Okay. And we won 68.4% wow. 68 of the vote. That's good. That's a combination of things. They really liked you and didn't like the other guy. And that time, you know what timing is everything. So, Let's talk about, now that was, you know, this has only been a, a few weeks. How has the Dallas GOP welcomed you or have they? Sure. You know what? I wasn't their first choice at the beginning. Um, we'll just be honest there. Um, it's, you know, no one likes an outsider. No one really likes a free thinker. Um, government typically likes to pick winner, winners and losers. They just have this bad habit. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I, I came through, I ran a great campaign and, and I think I earned their respect. So they're fully supporting me now and we're charging forward. That's good. That's good to mm -hmm. hear that. So, um, I've been to your site and I'm going to plug your, plug your campaign here. We've got Davis for Dallas as in the number four.com. Uh, you've got an email vote at davisfordallas.com. You can, you got your endorsements, get a sign, donate. Um, you know, folks, if you've, if you've liked what you've heard here today, whether or not you are in her district or not, um, financial support's always important. We've got a couple of minutes left. Lauren, wrap up. What do you, how do you, how, this is, you're talking to folks that maybe can vote for you, maybe can send some money or this is something, heck, you could just replay this for a campaign commercial. How do you want to <laughs> yeah. finish this show? Yeah, a couple things. I want to say I never understood why campaigns were so expensive. They're expensive because they're just a massive marketing campaign. So this race is going to be three to five million dollars. Um, my opponent Whoa. has. Yes, my opponent has dirty money. Nancy Pelosi has been here. So I'm good. I've got to raise a lot of money. So every dollar wow. counts in the county, outside the county. And as Texas goes, so goes the country. And Dallas County has an opportunity to completely send shockwaves through the nation with my camp, with my race. I'm an outsider. I'm a mother. I'm a parent, an everyday business owner, American who has stood up. I'm proving what we've all been saying. Take a stand. Take a stand. And I'll tell you, you're going to take a stand because your day is coming, whether you like it or not. Let's just be real. If you haven't had to now, you're about to. So get prepared. And be prepared to say, to know that people are going to tell you you're stupid, you're inexperienced, you don't know, you can't learn, um, you needed to have been a precinct chair before, you need to have been a PTA president before, you don't, you're an American, no, you, you don't. qualify. That's right. You qualify. So I want everyone to know that it's so important. Just take a stand, just take a stand. And I would love it your first stand to be to support me in my campaign. All right. Fantastic. Well, folks, this is Lauren Davis. She is Republican candidate for County judge for Dallas County, Texas. Very important position. I tell you, what, you just blew my mind away with, with what you've got to raise. Uh, that changes a whole lot of perspective. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, $5, 50 cents, a hundred dollars, we don't want you to change your standard of living or take food off the table. But uh, if you can send something her way, I think from today's conversation, it's well worth it. Lauren, thank you for coming on. I'm going to wrap up the show, folks. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. I come out every week, whether I'm sitting here and bloviating myself or we're bringing interesting people on like Lauren Davis. The idea is to bring you something that's educational information, and hopefully we made you smile and entertain you. <laughs> Until then, this is, I will be back next week with another message or another guest. I want you to have a great day, a great weekend. God bless America. God bless the great state of Texas, and remember, God loves you. Have a nice weekend, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share then. again.